When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. One minute after eight, telephone numbers 0800 150811. You can text us here on 8833. Opportunity to take just a little bit of talk back off the back of two really interesting discussions. One with Peter Alatini talking all things Pacifica rugby and the other with Justin Marshall talking all things the Crusaders. Telephone number 0800 150811. Uh, interesting comments today made by... The professor, an icon of New Zealand rugby, Wayne Smith, who played a lot of rugby for Canterbury, of course, all-black coach and in charge of the Black Ferns winning the Women's Rugby World Cup. He switched off the game the other night um, that was played in Australia between, I think it was the Highlanders and, was it the Western Force? The Highlanders and the Western Force. Sick and tired of the whistle sick and tired of advantages going for two, three minutes and then coming back for an infringement, sick and tired of referees always looking for the negative rather than the positive, scared that if they don't rule to the letter of the law that in some post-match referee um, review process they might somehow end up getting dropped. And of course, it's just another reason why interest in the game is continuing to diminish. You would have heard me going about every other aspect of the game just not being good enough, from the whole fan experience to fan engagement uh, to teams just not putting out their best sides every week. But it gets a lot more coverage, doesn't it, when it's said by Wayne Smith. Now, he was probably talking more about the rules and the officiating of it and that things are just too complicated my issues are far greater than that. But if you do want to comment, I'd love to get your thoughts on 0800 150 That's 0800 150 uh, Is that why more and more people are watching the NRL? It's just a far more simple game, isn't it? I mean, there's no technicalities at scrum time. Really, the only things there... I started to get a little bit more complicated with some of the tackling and some of the... Uh, what do they call it? some of the decoy running, I guess. But really, outside of that, it's the 10-metre line and it's the high tackles. And you can understand why it's popular to play. 
The other games that have very, very simple rules also happen to be the two biggest sports in the world, that is basketball and football. So do we just throw the book away on rugby and start again? How can we simplify it? Why has it become so damn complex and so open to interpretation? You know, you play with different referees every week who have a slightly different interpretation on the law. And like any legal system, you want consistency. So you play one week and you make the adjustments because you're penalised off the park, only to then find a referee picks you up for something else that the referee the week before was happy with. And we sit there as fans going, too much whistle, too much stoppage, too many scrums, not enough fluidity, and not enough explanation of why a referee has made a decision. And I think that's one thing for people at home, and I'm going to touch on the rugby league and the Warriors in a minute, but I think that's one thing that people need and we as fans want, and they do it very well in the NFL, and that is an explanation why decisions have been made or why penalties have been awarded during the game. But what I'd also like to see is somebody, whether it be the referee or somebody representing the referees, talking about key decisions and why they were made so that you then might shut down a negative perception or you might educate us or you might in fact tell us that we're wrong and we suddenly go oh yeah we were wrong you guys were right or they just simply might come out and go actually we did get the decision wrong but we're referees and we do make mistakes and I think everybody can handle that as well um, 0800 150 is the number right is there conspiracy against the Warriors um, Jason Paris, the chief executive of One New Zealand, seems to think that subconsciously the Warriors get ripped off every week. There were some inconsistencies on the weekend, weren't there, against the Penrith Panthers. Warriors players getting 10 minutes in the bin. Moments later, very, very similar acts, or almost exactly the same act, goes unpunished and goes in favour of the Penrith Panthers. And when you're losing, I guess it's easy to start looking at the referees and start looking for excuses. Is there a subconscious bias? I don't think so. I don't think that Jason Paris, probably the smartest thing he's... I think he'd be regretting coming out, basically. He wouldn't be surprised if the referees were, you know, sort of beating against the Warriors outside of the game in some sort of collective conspiracy. And I can understand why Graham Annesley, who's the head of referees for the NRL, um, and the NRL are possibly looking at legal action uh, for defamation. Now, it's a very, very grey area defamation. That is basically when you unfairly put somebody's reputation into disrepute. Now, often it's based on, well, how many people did you reach? If I said something negative and I said it to my family, well, five people would have heard it. It's not enough to damage the reputation of the referee. But when you've got a platform that the chief executive of One New Zealand has and then the media pick up on it, then there is potential that you are going to degrade and defame those referees that were involved on Saturday in that game 
Warriors versus Penrith, but also against the match officials in general. It would be fascinating to know what the board of One New Zealand, formerly Spark, uh, formerly Vodafone, um, think of the way their chief executive has acted. I think he's done really good in doing himself to Warriors fans. Uh, playing on the populist thinking. I think that it's a good way of really cementing the name change from Vodafone to One New Zealand in the forefront of people's minds. So I think from a business point of view, my gut feeling is that this was deliberate and somewhat strategic from a business point of view. Slightly out there, but deliberate. Where do you sit on this one? Are the referees against the Warriors? 0800 150811. Is there a conspiracy? It'd be interesting because I've heard Ricky Stewart over the years talk about the referees are against the Canberra Raiders. Wayne Bennett, he's often coming out and having a crack at the referees. We've seen it with Ivan Cleary in the past. I mean, every team, every set of fans, when a side is losing, is going to come out and criticise and talk about the decisions that didn't go their way. I would imagine if you sit down with Parramatta fans and they would have been, and you would have been watching it, they'd be yelling at the TV, Ref, you didn't get him back. He wasn't back the 10. That was a cheap shot. He got away with it. And so we tend to see things through rose-coloured glasses and we tend to have a one-sided view of things when decisions go against the team that we support. I've got friends who I have fo- uh, coffee with in the morning who love their English Premier League. One's a West Ham fan. And, and West Ham do no wrong. It's always the opposition. I sit there as a Liverpool fan and Liverpool fan... Liverpool never do anything wrong. It's always the opposition or it was a poor decision. It's human nature, isn't it? Ben, your take on this. You're a hardcore Warriors fan. You've watched probably a lot more than I have. Yeah, look, uh, I I find this difficult because I I, I have to admit, for, for Jason to come out and say what he said, you know, I thought it takes a lot of guts because usually it's a lot of fans like and people that don't have the same profile as him. Uh, I struggle with questioning the referees because I'm at the stage where I feel if the criticism towards referees, not in just rugby league, in every sport, keeps on happening, we're going to have no more professional sport and no more referees. like that Because we need referees for professional sport, and I'm really worried about going down that rabbit hole. And I'm not a referee. I would never want to be a referee because of how much criticism they come under. Uh, but in saying that, though... But you want to be a talkback radio host. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Have you read the text? Go on. Sorry. <laughs> Funny, man. Have you seen the abuse over the years? Oh, Go hey. On. Anyway, yeah. But, sorry, just, just tongue in cheek. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I did a story uh, at a previous organisation a few years ago going off the Graham Annesley, who's the head of the referees, and he does his weekly conferences, and I did the story based on how many calls. I went through every single press conference he did that year at that at the time, and at that stage, he'd mentioned the Warriors 15 times. Nine times he said the wrong, wrong call had been made against the Warriors on field. Four, the Warriors had benefited from, and two, he sat on the fence on. So when you look at it like that, 
the stats show, yeah, the referees probably do make wrong calls against the Warriors. I don't know what the numbers are for every other team in saying that. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, a, you've got to get the stats for every team. Yeah, 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 exactly. You have to. You'd have to get the stats for every team. But when I looked at the the the, the calls that were made against the Warriors and the significance they had on the impact of the game compared to the ones that benefited the Warriors, it was night and day. And I also know that the New Zealand breakers tend to always seem to pick up and that they often come out and criticise the referees in the basketball because they always seem to pick up more fouls than every other team. And I don't know if that's a correlation or whether it's coincidental or whatever the case may be. Yeah, but if, if we were living in a basketball city in Australia and that was our team and they had you know radio discussions like we were having, I'd imagine that, they, oh, we got picked up again by the referees. They're picking on us. I reckon these discussions are for every team with every fan base. I mean, you've only got to see it in the English Premier League. I mean, I've got different friends who support different teams and how often the conversation comes out about how their team was robbed by the referee. Well, I, I have some audio. I grabbed some audio from Graham Annesley today, which I can play if you like. We'll, we'll play it shortly. But, yeah, but he, he said that every week, he said, I'm going to have eight teams come in at me saying that the wrong call was made. Because, yeah, eight losing teams. Yeah, exactly. So, But but also, someone made a really good point today on Smithy's show that it was only a couple of weeks ago we got the rub of the green against the Doggies, where things very much went in our favour and the Dogs were fuming with some of the refereeing decisions that went against them. My point is, I think when you look at the entire season through 23, 24 games, I think it does all come out on the wash. Uh, it's a hell of a job the referees have got. It's not easy. I mean, you know, it's robically hard on them. They're there, admittedly, they're there because they're the best. Where it's inexcusable is when they go upstairs and the TMOs get it wrong. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And I, and I guess you have to go back at the end of the day. Yes, the Warriors might have had these some of these calls not go their way, but at the end of the day, they still had opportunities to play and try win and they didn't take them and I'm after three straight losses I'm now looking at Andrew Webster and I'm saying Andrew you need to move Dylan Walker back into the middle of the park you need to stop playing him at 5-8 because since he has moved from the middle of the field into the halves the Warriors have not had that same go forward going forward and he and his presence not playing in the middle is missing massively. They need to put him back on the bench, bring him on to the 20-minute mark, and I think the Warriors would play a lot better. And mm. you just think a couple of those little changes, and who knows where the game yeah, could go. Yeah, there didn't seem to be a lot of criticism around the referees when we were winning a lot of games in the start of the season. When we start losing, the referees tend to come to the fore a lot more. Yeah, and, and that's and that's 100% right. But the, then that comes back to the issue that I am seeing in sport, and I see it a lot in football, how managers are always criticising the referees and it's I'm, I'm concerned. But I, I was going to say as well that I think the Bundesliga, the German football, they do it very well. So I believe the referee actually has a press conference after the game where he has to answer questions on some of the decisions he's made. And the, and I've seen the times where referees have come out and said, yes, I got it wrong, I apologise. And and I think if you probably I don't know whether introducing that into sport down here would have the same oh, impact. No, look, I think the referees need to be held accountable. I think somebody needs to come out very quickly after a game and say, "Look, this was the decision. This is how we came to those decisions." So that there is areas of contention. And if you get it wrong, you just simply say, "Hey, look, we've got it wrong." And I think they've done that in the past, and referees have been stood down. The NRL have actually been quite good. Yep, they got that one wrong, and the referee has been stood down. Um, you'd like to think they're there because they're the best, that they've got rid of bias.
Yeah, uh, totally. And there's been times after Warriors games where referees have been stood down for some of the, the, the calls made. But as I say, I'd have I'd really have to go in-depth and look at every other team to see the percentage. But as someone that does watch the Warriors every week, you do think that they, they definitely do not get that rub of the green, as they say. They probably get it less than other teams, but that's, I don't know those full statistics. It's just how it feels when you watch the games. Mm-hmm. 0800 is the number if you do want to have your say on that. We'd like to get your thoughts on this one. Um, I don't think that this, I don't think that, um, what is it, the Professional Rugby League Match Officials Association, whatever they call it, is really going to take some legal action here, even though it is bordering genuinely on defamation from Jason Paris when you start saying that he wouldn't be surprised, even if it's jovial that somehow these referees behind the scenes have got this conspiracy and they're betting against the Warriors. That starts to then genuinely question their integrity. The problem is I don't think, I think if there was to be legal action taken, I think one New Zealand would probably jump to the fore here and go into bat and there's no way that the NRL or the rugby league match officials want to get caught up in a big legal battle that they're not going to win. Just bringing it back to basketball again, and I know that in previous years, and I think LeBron James has been the prime example, when those when the games are close and they're tight, a guy like LeBron James would often get that superstar call where the referee might blow the foul, usually when he probably wouldn't at any other time because it's a LeBron James. And maybe you look at the last three games, the Warriors lost to the Storm, the Roosters and the Panthers three elite clubs that have probably earned the right if you're going to you know, probably mm. put that down in that same category as well. They're probably going to get those calls because they are the, yeah, but, the better but, teams. But, but I think you just have to adjust to all of that. If that is the case, it's been there forever. Oh, exactly. Um, and therefore you, you understand what you're playing. You know, you come into this competition, if you think, hey, there is bias with the New Zealand team, well, you then have to make the decision. Well, do we play or not? Okay, do we play or not? Or can we still manage our way through this? If it is the way it is, you've got two options. You don't have to play or you can play. It's a bit like people who, you know, are offended. Easy, don't watch. You've got the choice. But don't watch it and then complain. Um, so, yeah, look, 0800 150 is the number. The comments of Wayne Smith, uh, he switched the television off. Super Rugby is boring. And I think he's just simply what's... He, he's saying what everyone's thinking, but he brought a slightly different rationale to what's killing it for him where I think there are a whole lot of other reasons why it's killing it for others I will just say this I am just sick and bloody tired of our super rugby teams just not putting their best sides out every week it almost up to, it almost caused the Blues to lose Crusaders lost a game in Fiji because of it what is the reason for rest and bloody rotation play the damn players every damn week the NRL do it if you're available you play English Premier League do it. If you're available, you play. You've got to get some rhythm. You've got to get some momentum. You're going to have a bye. You're going to have natural injuries anyway. No wonder people are not turning up to Eden Park. No wonder nobody's turning up to watch rugby. They don't know who they're watching. Then you put the officiating in, and I don't mean, you know, the rules, and how often they are to interpretation. And yeah, you wonder why rugby league is popular. What I will say, what I will say here is this is another narrative though, isn't it? This is another narrative that rugby league has got. Everyone's now talking about this refereeing issue. Then they're talking about the brilliance of the players, the round they had in Brisbane, and it's just part of the narrative. And in a funny kind of way, it's part of what makes the game interesting. And so in terms of promoting the game, in terms of promoting the Warriors, 
Uh, well done to Jason Paris. 20 minutes after 8, 0800 Okay, 24 minutes after 8, Doug has texted in. Doug says, do you get the feeling the NRL are sensing an opportunity to have a go at One New Zealand? Because Telstra are a sponsor of the NRL, and it must be frustrating to see your opponent getting media. Oh, yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think the NRL will seriously pursue legal action um, off the comments made by Mr. Paris, the CEO of One New Zealand. Um I think that the referee, Todd Smith, probably has a legal avenue. He probably feels his reputation is generally being brought into disrepute by somebody who has created a lot of media interest because of his position as CEO of the telecommunications company. And defamation is based on reach, really. How many people have heard it? How many people believe it? And therefore, has it genuinely damaged my reputation? And it probably has. The issue, though, is that this is all done via social media. So what sort of precedent do you set if suddenly he is taken to court, he is sued, and the referee or the referees association win. You put in place then a precedent. How do you then manage and police social media? I mean, everybody's criticising players and referees all the damn time. I mean, Twitter is basically public toilet graffiti most of the time, isn't it? Everyone's having a go on social media. So where does it stop? How do you monitor it? Social media, I don't think, would survive if suddenly people were in front of a judge or were given legal letters every time they came out and made a comment or criticised somebody. You could argue, though, that Sifakula, who was sinbinned, he might turn around and go, you got the decision wrong, you ruined my reputation. I mean, this is how ridiculous it all ends up getting, doesn't it? And no one wants a big legal battle. Anyway, let's bring you some audio here from Grant Annesley, who pretty much heads up the NRL referees just to get his um, thoughts on this whole saga. I think it's fair to say he's not overly impressed. There is no comment that could be worse than the type of comment that we've seen over the last 24 hours in relation to the integrity of the game. We can question their decision-making. I have no problem with that. We can't question their integrity because it not only does it question the integrity of the people who are out on the field making the decisions, it questions the integrity of the entire NRL administration uh, because we put these people on the field. They don't appoint themselves to games. They are appointed to games by the NRL, by the governing body of the game, and if anyone thinks that we would... For any second, put someone on the field that we thought wasn't doing other than the very best job they can do to the best of their ability by being as completely impartial as a referee is required to be, then that is also an attack on the administration of the game. So 
absolutely am I going to stand up for the referees in this particular case, and there are many times where I'm the first to put my hand up and say the referees have made errors. I've demonstrated that today. I demonstrate it every time I stand up here and do this every week. But when they're, when they're attacked unnecessarily, without cause, their decision-making can be questioned, but their integrity cannot be attacked, and we won't allow it to be attacked. I can go probably to eight losing clubs on any given week and they'll all tell me they didn't get the rub of the green. This is not something that is peculiar to a team in New Zealand or anywhere else for that matter. Every club when they lose they all believe that the so-called 50-50 decisions, whatever that is, um, didn't go their way. And, you know, regularly clubs will send in playlists, that's, you know, video edits of incidents in the game that they want the referees, coaches to come back to them with explanations. And the Warriors, to their credit, they've contacted me today and they want to come and do exactly that later in the week and we'll do that and we'll go sit down and we'll go through uh, each of those incidents with them. And uh, some will agree and some will disagree. We'll put our hands up on some, some will defend. That's always been the system. Referees get dropped when they make major errors. If their form isn't good, they get dropped, just like players. But this rubbish about they're unaccountable, they're protected species. Well, yes, we will protect them when they're attacked unnecessarily uh, and when they're attacked unjustly. We're not going to just sit back idly and allow their integrity and the integrity of the administration of the game and the integrity of rugby league to be attacked without justification. Yeah, bloody well spoken, actually, from Graham Annesley. Um, we'll get Ben in a moment because he's listened to a lot of this guy over the years. But look, I think he he, he I think he summed that up nicely. Um, you know, you can question the decisions, but you can't start in questioning individuals' integrity and then the integrity of the organisation. And I think Jason Paris went too far with his comments. Um in regards to the conspiracy about the referees coming together and he wouldn't be surprised if they were bidding against the Warriors. And that might be a flippant statement, but it's not flippant if you're one of the referees associated with it. Look, however, however, I will say this, being a New Zealander and over the years having watched the Australians in sport, and you go back to underarm incidents, you go back to Boxing Day Test 1986-87 and some of the umpiring that we've seen over the years and stuff and the fact that in Australia that Chopper Reid and Ned Kelly are national heroes, I mean, I think New Zealanders probably are a little bit sensitive and feel there's always a conspiracy um, when it comes to Australian sport. Now, that might be a perception and it might be so far from the truth and probably is far from the truth. So I can also understand why Warriors fans do jump up in arms, uh, do get upset. Uh, ben, what did you make of all that? Well, my initial takeaway when I first heard it, so I've I've listened to, I reckon I've brought up over 100 appearances listening to Graham Annesley press conferences. Uh, that was the most animated and probably the most angriest I've ever heard him speak. Um, he spent about 25 minutes discussing that game and the fact that uh, Paris's comments brought the game into disrepute. So, look, I, like you said, he spoke very well. Um, I thought he made some great points as well. I thought the strongest comment, though, was the one at the start where he says there's no comment that could have been worse than that type of comment uh, in relation to the integrity of the game. To me, that was a pretty strong comment. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. Um, yeah, I agree completely. I'll be honest. Coming from the CEO of a major corporate, and you've got to be a smart boy to become the CEO of Vodafone and what is One New Zealand. Yes, you endear yourself to your fans. You become a bit of a populist. Uh, yes, you put the brand out there. And I think Vodafone historically was always um, a brand that tended to be a little bit more youthful in its focus, say, versus Spark. I think Spark's sort of seen more as the News Talk ZB of... Um, the News Talk ZB of... of uh, genres, an older audience, where I think a rock station tends to be a little bit more where one New Zealander trying to... will try and target. And is this just part of this brand change-out? and a way of just getting a little bit more cutthroat. It's a very alternative way of doing it, but um, why would you do it? Well, I wanted to go back to uh, Doug's point, and there actually is a little bit of a, I don't want to say bad blood, but I believe it was heading into the 2020 season, so just before COVID, uh, Telstra and the NRL actually wanted Vodafone completely gone from the Warriors altogether because of the, the clashes um, of sponsorship because it is a telecommunications company. I think they actually yeah, came can't, out and can't, said, can't do it. Yeah. Vodafone, no more. And then there was a big uproar and they reverted back on their decision. So I don't know whether there actually is a little bit of bad blood going back a few years or if there, if there actually is a bit more to that. But. Yeah, but I mean, they've just rebranded, haven't they? I mean, um, they've just rebranded. It's one New Zealand now. There's no Vodafone association. It's always a hard one. I remember when they had the world, when they used to have the rugby league sevens years ago when it was held in Australia, and I remember that when Manly won it, and they had Pepsi all over them, and Coke was the major sponsor. I mean, you often see in athletics, Nike or Adidas will be the sponsor, and athlete will have, you know, the product of another company on. New Balance. Or... Because it's deemed as equipment, and therefore yeah. you can't come in on that. That's just the game. If you're going to get involved in sport, you're always going to have those... Um, you're always going to have those areas of, you can call it ambush marketing, or you're just going to have those areas where, yeah, you're not going to, there is going to be a clash. That's just the harsh reality of it. But does it, I think this comes back to an overall point, which is a, a general theme uh, when you're on, and it's the fact that it's Monday night, there's no, there's no uh, rugby league on. And that's what we're talking about. And what what are we talking about? Rugby, like we're not, rugby. we're not exactly because there's nothing I mean, to talk about. You know, it was really nice to see Wayne Smith come out and talk about the fact that the game in rugby is crap because we've got a guy being honest. And so suddenly now people are talking about rugby. Now it might not be what the powers to be are talking about, but at least suddenly rugby is a discussion point for the day. Up to it, this is a far bigger issue and has superseded that. But this is actually part of the NRL brand. This is part of the discussion. People say this stuff because they're passionate, and you can hear the passion then from Annesley back. But what it is is engaging, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And then come the weekend, this will be forgotten. We'll be celebrating the brilliance in the middle of the park, and then probably the game finishes. The next day we'll be talking about some dumbass who went out and got drunk at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but it's all part of the narrative. Yep. But it's there, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And as I say, we like a little bit of the getting drunk in the bar and staying out to 3 o'clock, and if you think we don't, why do so many people, and I've said this regularly, why do so many people watch Married at First Sight? Because they love a train wreck. And so unintentionally rugby league sometimes fills that space as well. And I think this is just another chapter, another narrative, and in a funny kind of way it adds to the product. 
And I think rugby could learn a little bit from it. Uh, we just had a text come in. Hi, Mark. I think Super Rugby came boring after 2015 when teams from all over the world were added to the competition. To meet New Zealand rugby and... I think it's meant to be Sansa. And Sansa, and part of the reasons why Super Rugby competition is failing, that comes from Matt. Uh, And someone here, and a really good point from Chris, I noticed the Tigers have been quiet in regards to their criticism of the referees off the back of the last two weeks. And by the way, they've won their last two games, haven't they? And I think Annesley sums it up. After every game, there are eight teams who are not happy with the refereeing. 24 minutes away from nine. Uh, spare lines. I thought we might get a little bit more talk on this. 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. 20 minutes away from nine. Some good texts that are coming in. Uh, this one from Chris uh, is JP. So, um, what's his name? Jason. I just, what's what's his name? I've just forgotten. Jason Paris. Jason Paris. I knew that because Olympics are next year in Paris, aren't they? Is Jason Paris laying the runway to exit the sponsorship? Maybe one has no interest in advertising in Australia. Maybe Vodafone Australia used to help with the Vodafone New Zealand sponsorship. Now, look, I think it's always been done in-house. They're not going to be paying huge amounts of money. I would have thought probably a million dollars a year for the sponsorship of the Warriors. I think it's a pretty good sponsorship. They've been on board for a long time. I think the target market is the right one for them. Um, But it is a little bit strange that the CEO of now one New Zealand, came out, made these comments, made some pretty sort of, um, I think, derogatory comments that are close to being defamatory, even though no specific names were named. Um, The law doesn't necessarily look at it that way. Um, If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck and sounds like a duck, it's a duck. But how strategic was this? because he's also not been afraid to front up the media. So he's done interviews here on this station. I think he's done interviews uh, with others. I think he might have done one with Martin Devlin today as well. And so how strategic. Clearly nobody's telling him off in the background. I think this is about getting the brand out there. I, I do. I think this is about really endearing themselves to that younger audience Populism taking on Australia, we're one New Zealand. You think about it, one New Zealand. What's the best thing you can do to bring a nation together? Go after the Aussies. Go after the Aussies in a sporting sense. I think this is quite deliberate, to be perfectly honest. I genuinely do. 0800 150 is the number. Uh, somebody jump on the phone, kick this bad boy off. I know that 8 o'clock can be quite a difficult time with uh, just sitting down, relaxing, maybe watching some television or putting kids to bed. And possibly 9 to 10 might be better now for it, but we're going to talk some English Premier League football after 9 o'clock. Um, Andy Buckley out of the UK, great broadcaster, brilliant, honest football, does a lot of commentary for the BBC in and around Manchester City. He's going to talk some English Premier League football for us because that competition's, what, got four, three, four games left for most teams, and we still don't have our champion, and we still don't necessarily have confirmed those that are going to get relegated or those that are going to get promoted. So much at stake. It's a nervy few hours for me because it's uh, the final day of the season for League Two. Right, what's happening in League Two, Ben? Enlighten me. Well, Bradford currently occupy the last uh, playoff spot. So this has moved up into League One? Yeah. So So this is what they used to call the third division. Uh, It's fourth division. 
Fourth, is it? Fourth division. Oh, okay. Yeah. You got the Premiership, the Championship, League One, uh, and they're and playing. Four. They're playing Leighton Orient, who have already secured the title, but they just need a point to secure a spot in the in the playoffs. Uh, League One season wrapped up overnight as well, so that saw uh, Ben Wayne and Plymouth Argyle finish top of that of that league, and Ipswich Town going back up, and Forest Green, uh, Accrington Stanley, and clubs like that going back down. Yeah, it's um. But but like I say, man, that's what it is. You look at how many little clubs and little teams. I was talking to somebody whose father was mad keen Stockport supporter, and his father lives back in the UK. And he said, "Mark, you talk to this guy for more than five minutes, and all you do is start bringing up the football. Just starts bringing up the football, and you can't stop him. And that's just so many people. Some of the smaller clubs, some of the bigger clubs. Look at what's happening with Wrexham at the moment. That that is a great story at the moment. Um, ben, we've got. Graham there. Oh, we've got Graham there. Okay, well, coming to you in one second, Graham. Just a couple of texts that have come in. Anyone who thinks uh, Jason sits on the couch watching a game with a beer and flips out on social media has rocks in the head. Maybe you're right to lift brand awareness could be the idea. I think I'm 100% right, Chris, to be honest. I don't say that often. I'm never right. My wife will tell you I am never right. I'm always wrong, okay? I'm always wrong. It's always my fault. I can be overseas miles away. It'd still be my fault. Okay, Graham. How are you? Oh, how are you? <laughs> did your wife? I've always wondered about this. When you're on the radio sport, did, did your wife listen to your programs quite regularly? No, she wouldn't have. <laughs> honestly, mate, she wouldn't have even known what damn frequency it was on, mate. No, she knows the name of the station, but no, seriously, she's just not a sports fan at all. I, I seriously, no, I know, she, she I would never tune in. Oh, she knows I can. No, be, no. She knows I can be a cheeky bugger. Oh yeah, no, it's all good fun. I mm. just, no, it's funny. No, it's very sort of here and doors type stuff, isn't it? You know. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, I, I I sort of grew up watching uh, Married with Children, and I got sort of that blokey humour. But you got to be very careful about these days. But oh, yeah. most people who know me, I don't. You know, when I'm when I'm sort of in that, oh, I, no, I, no, I, no. I, I don't don't take a word I word I say seriously. You know what I mean? And if you do want to take it seriously, well, you're just picking and looking for a fight. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know myself, you've got to watch yourself nowadays. Oh, brutal, yeah. But, but being careful um, is mm. almost the uh, national catchphrase or the mm. worldwide Western mm. catchphrase of the world. But uh, just on a bit of league and rugby, oh, the referee business and a bit of rugby issues, yeah. So, I mean, I'm interested, even though I don't follow the league, you know, with what was that Graham Annersley did speak very well. You played part of what he said, but um, he certainly, um, you know, I'm, I sort of, one part of me, you know, I've, I've always thought, you know, a lot of Warriors fans I know, you know, say, oh, you know, they have been, and I think they have been at times, you know, I don't know what it's, unconscious bias or whatever, but at the same time, you know, if it goes too far, which that maybe Jason has, you know, or hasn't, depending on what your stance is, but at least it puts something out there and it's a discussion, as, as you yeah. say, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, gives it, it gives it, and now I know we talk about this a lot, but it does give it narrative and you've got, you know, the referees coming out very strongly and, and, and Graham Annesley, obviously. So Well, it's what, it, it, Graham, it's one more reason why people will watch a game this week. Now, look, we, we had you on a couple of weeks ago and you weren't happy about some of the decisions that went against oh, your yeah, team and, right. the and the Chiefs. Potatoes, exactly. And then I had Ian Jones in here a couple of days later and he rubbished everything that Crusaders fans were saying and he explained why he felt the referees got it exactly right. My point is, mate, we, you know, we're all guilty of it at times. Sometimes there is absolutely the referees that get it wrong. And as Leah said that himself, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's just... 
just it's how far you take it, man, I guess. And I just think he's taken it too far when he's talking, you know, he says it sort of jokingly. I wouldn't be surprised if they're all sort of conspiring and taking bets against the Warriors behind our backs. Yeah, you, yeah, you've got to be a little bit careful, particularly if the CEO of a major company in this country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I did hear Ian last week, and I thought, fair enough, you know. No, no, fair and, enough. You know, <clears throat> um, yeah, I would have agreed if I'd been on here with him. I used to, he used to be on with you and another life in radio sport. You know, I agree to disagree. I mm. like Ian Jones. He gives mm. a good analysis. Mm. But, but you know, obviously it's subjective, isn't it, too? Yeah. You know, it's, um, whether Enix is all black or well, a you've ne- you, you very rarely ever hear a winning team complain about the referee. Oh, no, 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 and that's what... And as Lee was saying, it's also mm. interesting what um, Wayne Smith said, though I have to admit I haven't read all of it, but I enjoyed your um, conversation with Justin Marshall earlier too. Yeah, no, yeah. I've got to say I'm enjoying working with Justin at the moment. He's good. He's great. Oh, yeah, no, he's right. You know, especially about Tamaiti Williams. Um, yeah, no, it's, he's certainly a, a bit of a lot of talk about him. I, mm. Yeah, I think he, he he could be a so-called bolter for the World Cup, Scott. Yeah, he had to be. I was he, actually, he I, I, I was actually more interested in the discussion around Lester Fanganuku and the little and subtle improvements he's made because I thought last year he wasn't he was pretty complete already. But you know, it's funny how these guys that have played at the highest level just have oh, a, yeah. just have a much deeper understanding, don't they? That speed factor I think has gone up. You know, like not he wasn't just a crash and bash hmm. man last year. He's, he's always been a bit better. A bit different and a bit better than that, but he's—I think he has added um, something. Mm. The acceleration he's got, you know, full of. He's getting more out of the throttle now when he puts mm. his foot mm. on the wheel, so mm. to speak. Yeah, like, you know, he's really fast, you know, and he, but he's strong as well. But. Hey, hey Graham, I've got about thirty seconds, so just yep, you, yep, keep going. No, yep. no, no, that's good as gold. No, but uh, yeah, with Wayne Smith, well, <laughs> he's just been honest as well. So. Yeah, but again, and, it's, you know, it's created that, some discussion, hasn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's good, you know, but probably some people in higher places will think, oh, no, he shouldn't have said that. Well, he, he's not, like he, that. He's not, he wasn't bagging the referees. He's just bagging, no, he he's just bagging the, he was just bagging no, the, the fact itself. that the game he's itself talking, and yeah. that the referees now really have no choice here because that's just what oh, no, that's how right. it needs it's, to be interpreted. That's the rules, and these guys are accountable, and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be seen to not be, yeah. So, yeah, but I think what he's saying is that the game needs to change, and so hopefully, again, Wayne Smith's comments are taken on board because they certainly won't, so. certainly won't listen to guys like me, Graham. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no, and they certainly right. and they certainly won't listen to you because they hate the fan, Graham. They've got no time for people <laughs> yeah. like you, Graham. How <laughs> dare you? They're just paranoid. Who are you, the fan? Oh, we don't need the fans, Graham. Yeah. No. He, anyway, hey, lovely to have you on the program as always, mate. Thank you. Nine no, and a half man. minutes. Have a good night. Yeah, nine and a half minutes away from nine. So there you go. NRL three sixty on at the moment. Good television. Good honest, heated debate around the big issues in the game. Fearless. And I'm not sure why rugby in this country prevents it, shuts the media down. And then they wonder why there are no narratives supporting the game. They wonder why it's not on the forefront of people's minds and why people are no longer turning up and watching rugby. Big story, of course, is the NRL investigating the Auckland franchise, the Warriors, and their sponsor, uh, which is One New Zealand, a large telecommunications company. And their CEO, Jason Paris basically coming out and saying there's a subconscious bias towards the Warriors. And I see the boys from NRL 360 say, we don't disagree, but we think there's an unconscious bias towards the lower teams. And really the only way you get over it is start winning games, play your way through it. 
And I'll always say this, if you've got issues with the referee, take them out of the equation. Win and win well. You might want to have some you might want to have some thoughts on that. You can text us here on double eight double three. Right, let's talk some English Premier League football. Let's head to the UK. Manchester City football commentator Andy Buckley joins us. Morning to you, Andy. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, welcome. How are you? Very good, thank you. Right, Manchester United, are they going to choke? Are they going to hand the fourth spot in the English Premier League, Champions League spot to their arch rival Liverpool? Uh, well, they're making a pretty good fist of it, aren't they? Um, who would have thought a few weeks ago that United wouldn't uh, claim a Champions League spot? But uh, it's a possibility. I still think it's a remote possibility. And I still fancy United to sneak over the line. Most of their games are at home and uh, they're better off at home than they are away, where they've been appalling, as they showed at Brighton and at West Ham in the last uh, few days. Uh, so they're a point clear in Liverpool. They've got a game in hand, and I just think they'll uh, stagger over the finishing line. And uh, it's been a great finish to the season for Liverpool, but uh, I think for your boys, it might have to be the Europa League. I'm afraid. Okay, well, I'll ask you the question about Newcastle United. I mean, they're a game behind Liverpool. They're only three points ahead of Liverpool. I mean, do they have the pedigree? Do they have the history to suggest that they won't falter? No, they don't have the uh, pedigree or the history, certainly. Uh, so they could choke. They've choked before, of course, famously when Kevin Keegan was the manager and they were on the way to uh, the uh, league title. I think they were 11 points clear. What was it? We're going back almost 30 years, aren't we? And uh, mm. uh, they folded dramatically. So there will be uh, those on Tyneside looking nervously over their shoulders. But again, um, they're the three points ahead. So... Uh, they're probably more of a realistic opportunity for Liverpool to catch, I would have thought, than United. Mm. Uh, but uh, fair play to Liverpool. Um, they've given it a, a decent go in the final few weeks of the season. And uh, it, it, what looked to be a foregone conclusion in terms of the top four uh, is far from it. Yeah, look, I, I think the very last game between Manchester United and Manchester City is going to be a final on so many fronts uh, for both teams with an impact for so many other teams, including both Manchester United and Liverpool, the whole lot. Look, you would have taken plenty of interest in the Newcastle-Arsenal game, Arsenal winning that by two goals. So now what did you make of their performance? Um, well, I, th I thought Arsenal did well, actually, after, what, four games without winning to come back. And I think a lot of City fans thought, oh, there's a good chance Newcastle will uh, get something against Arsenal and it wasn't to be even a draw. Uh, so an accomplished performance from Arsenal. Uh, got the lucky break in some respects with the penalty that was overturned early on. A big debate over whether that should have been a penalty or not. Uh, and the, uh, I suppose the lack of clarity around the handball rule was illustrated there. Uh, but uh, yeah, Arsenal, uh, it, no wonder their fans were celebrating in style at the end. Up in the gods, I've been there myself at uh, St James's Park. You're a long, long way from the pitch. You feel as though you're uh, from uh, in a plane. You're that high in the in the sky. Uh, dreadful view, really, to be put so far back for visiting supporters. But uh, it would have been a a, a a happy journey back down the A1 to uh, North London for mm. the for the for the Gooners uh, after that win at Newcastle. OK, let's talk about the games that are going to take place today, um, tomorrow morning New Zealand time, tonight your time in the UK, because there is just so much weight on all of these for different reasons, and that is survival in the English Premier League. So we've got Fulham taking on Leicester City, who currently sit very much in relegation zone. We've got Brighton taking on Everton, who are in the bottom three, and then Nottingham Forest, who are in the bottom three, taking on the bottom of the table, Southampton. Um, 
boy, if there was a chance to climb your way out of relegation, it's the it's this three games for the likes of Everton, Nottingham Forest, and Leicester. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, Nottingham Forest, if they can see off Southampton, uh, who look they're not quite doomed, but uh, if Southampton were to win, they'd give themselves a glimmer of hope. But Forest, with another three points, can really. Uh, put a marker down. Um, Leeds, I went to the Man City-Leeds game on Saturday and you could see what Sam Allardyce, the new manager, was trying to do in terms of shore up the defence. And it worked to a large extent. Uh, It was a predictable outcome, but I I think he's going to tighten up Leeds. They're not going to (laughs) be spectacular, but as long as they're safe, I suppose that's the the aim for him to try and uh, uh, preserve their Premier League status. So, uh, yeah, big games for, for Leicester and, and Everton as well. Um, it's hard with one point separating Everton in 19th and Leicester in 16th. What, there's uh, two to go. It just assume Southampton are down. You're thinking two from Leicester, Leeds, Forest and Everton. Um, I don't know. I've got a sneaking feeling Everton are just going to grab something from somewhere and just survive. But uh, they've got to get something uh, today because um, the next game is against Manchester City next Sunday afternoon, uh, English time. So uh, uh, you'd have thought that they've got to do something mm. uh, at Brighton. But Brighton uh, is an awful place to go. I think Fulham have just faded a bit. And I think Leicester could get something there, maybe a draw, but um, are, is a point enough at this stage of the season. Uh, Leicester might think that they can just... Uh, edge that little bit higher in the table. But yeah, this is a fascinating uh, race to avoid the drop. You mentioned um, Sam Allardyce there. He's come out and made some comments saying, look, I should be included, or I think I know football as well as Pep Guardiola, as well as Jurgen Klopp. Um, these guys are not better than me. They're not, you know, they don't know anything more than me. How have those comments been received? Uh, with laughter um, and uh I think at the point he's trying to make is I'm a better manager than uh, than people make me out to be because he's kind of seen as, you know, Fireman Sam, the fact he'll go in and do a firefighting job and rescue a club. But I don't think his uh, ambitions beyond that in terms of, uh, well, he did get the England job famously, didn't he? And then and then blundered, uh, a mishap there, lost the England job. Did well at Bolton Wanderers uh, a couple of decades ago. Very good. So he, 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 I just think that he's he's one of those managers who's, you know, and, and Roy Hodgson probably uh, disproved this, but I think Sam's a little bit dated now. I think he's sort of got of a different era and he's certainly not in the same category as Jurgen Klopp and uh, Pep Guardiola. I just don't know where he got that one from at all because uh, he'd get derided for, for the way he has been derided for that, for, for the way that he uh, played. I think as much as anything, it was done to deflect attention away from his players. In other mm. words, put the headlines on me. It's a, it was an Alex Ferguson type tactic, wasn't it? Put the attention on me and then the focus is less on his players. He made a change. He brought uh, Rob Les into goal rather than Meslier, who'd had a nightmare in the last few weeks. Uh, and they were, it was unspectacular uh, on Saturday against uh, Manchester City. But if Leeds can grind out enough points in what remains of the season, then uh, then I suppose it'll that half a million pounds that they've paid um, Sam Allardyce to come in and manage for four games. I mean, if you, we said to you, well, do you want to do, do uh, four games for half a million pounds? It's just it's a symptom, I suppose, of the silly money that's involved in football these days. Isn't there a three million bonus too if they stay up? Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah, so uh, that 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 is the the uh, 
uh, another incentive for him. Yeah, ridiculous. Today, I'm off to Burnley. When, when I put the phone down with you, I'm off to Burnley to cover for radio. Burnley against Cardiff uh, at Turf Moor. Burnley will receive the uh, championship trophy at the conclusion of the game. Uh, big party planned, open top, top bus parade tomorrow. At Burnley, one year out of the top flight, and then uh, they uh, start the, the task of uh, trying to... Uh, stay in the Premiership next season. Of course, they did it so successfully under Sean Dyche all those years. Uh, and now they've got Vincent Company, who yesterday agreed a five-year contract. And people are saying, oh, that's fended off interest from uh, the likes of Chelsea and Tottenham. Uh, but I don't think it does, really. I think it's a statement of intent towards Burnley. But let's face it, if Manchester City come calling in the summer, Pep Guardiola, just imagine this, a Liverpool fan's worst nightmare. Just imagine Pep Guardiola wins the treble which could happen in the next six weeks. It could happen. Uh, and Guardiola and some City fans are expecting him to do it. He turned around and said, well, how can I beat that? And he's off. He's gone. Uh, he stayed far longer than we expected. Then who will be the next Manchester City manager? And uh, surprise, surprise, Vincent Company would be on that shortlist. So a five-year contract's uh, on paper, very lucrative until 2028, but uh, uh, there is a, a sort of an asterisk next to it because you think, well, own brackets, uh, if a better job comes, not a better job, but a much better job, one of the top jobs in world football comes up, then he will be off. So uh, all fascinating stuff, uh, which we enjoy uh, talking about, of course, uh, we, and through what will be a very short, close season. I mean, the football fixtures come out four days after the Champions League final, which is on June the 10th. Uh, which is ridiculous, really. But I suppose that's modern football. It's just a 12-month, almost a 12-month of the year uh, operation. Andy Buckley, football commentator, is my guest on the programme. Andy, you talked about Manchester City, the treble that could happen in the next six weeks. Of course, plenty of interest in two days' time when they do take on Real Madrid in the first leg of the UEFA League semi-finals. Uh, I'd imagine that Manchester City feeling pretty confident. I think most people probably think that Manchester City should see Real off, but then Real have been written off a lot in the last two years, only to have won it. Correct, yeah. They've got history on the side. Uh, they've got the uh, trophies uh, to back it up as well. Uh, but I think one advantage for City compared to the two other times that Real have knocked City out in the knockout stages is that City are away first and uh, they've got the second leg to come at the Etihad a week on Wednesday. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have got a ticket for that match. I'll be there. I can't go to Madrid. There's a lot of my mates who are flying out to Madrid today. It's a bank holiday in England. Flying out to Madrid today to uh, escape the uh, May rain. It's another grotty day in Manchester. Uh, and uh, to watch City at the Bernabeu. And uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, They've got a very good chance of uh, getting to the final and already there's a clamour. I know you shouldn't tempt fate, but already people are saying any chance of a ticket for the final. And that, that comment doesn't just apply to Istanbul on June the 10th. Uh, it also applies to Wembley for the FA Cup final against Manchester United, which you alluded to earlier, which is an absolute tantalising uh, fixture really in terms of, uh, you know, they always say, don't they, the FA Cup final is the showpiece occasion, the glamorous end to the English Football League season. And I think if you, uh, if on the Football Association, you'll think, well, we had Merseyside derbies, didn't we, in the 80s with Liverpool and Everton, uh, which were, which did, I thought, stood them apart from other FA Cup finals because it was this special day for Merseyside football and for English football. And now with for Manchester and for English football, I just think it's going to be a glittering occasion. Uh, 
and City against United. If it comes down to a penalty, does Gundogan take it or do they give it to Erling Haaland or does Haaland just take the penalty and do as he's told? <laughs> and if people yeah, are well, that was in reference to Manchester City uh, versus Leeds, Gundogan had scored two and Haaland said, well, look, here's your hat-trick. And of course he steps up, misses the penalty, Rodrigo scores and suddenly it's 2-1 and got a little bit squeaky. Yeah, yeah, he said it was business and uh, at 2-0 he shouldn't have done it and he visibly remonstrated uh, with a pair of them as soon as uh, he'd missed the penalty. But I think he'd calmed down a bit afterwards, Guardiola, and uh, he's been lavishing praise on uh, Gundogan in the last few hours, saying what a complete player he is. And there's renewed speculation that he might go to Barcelona in the summer. They've offered him a two-year contract. City apparently have offered him a one-year contract because he's getting to the twilight of his career. And if he goes, he goes with the blessing of the City fans. He was Guardiola's first signing. Uh, back in, what was it, 2016. Uh, underrated, unheralded, uh, does a job. Scored those two goals against Villa on the last day of last season to win the title for City. Always there. One of the nicest blokes. I've interviewed him a few times. One of the nicest men, obliging footballers you could ever wish to meet. And uh, got an awful lot of time for him as a footballer and as a person. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're right. He got it uh, a little bit of a... Uh, a blast from uh, Pep when he, he took that. He hit the post. He's got a good record. I think he scored a penalty, didn't he, for Dortmund against Bayern Munich, was it, in the Champions League final at Wembley in about 2011 or something like that. So he's got a good record from the spot. Haaland's got an exceptional record. Uh, Mares has missed quite a few as well. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of... These are heady times for Manchester City fans, which might seem a bit ridiculous for a team that's going for its fifth title in six seasons. But... That kind of uh, prospect of the treble, the holy grail. The, well, it's not unprecedented. Manchester United did it in 1999. But I really, I think if you win the treble, you're seen as uh, a team of a, an era, one of the, the, the greatest team of that era. And I don't think they're that far off at the moment. Mm. OK, let's just quickly look at possibility of murmurings within the transfer market. There's been talk around Jude Bellingham originally with Liverpool, then possibly Manchester City. It's looking like he might end up ultimately at Real Madrid. But Liverpool very hot for Alexis McAllister out of Brighton. Uh, how strong are those rumours? Yeah, um, yeah, Brighton is sort of issuing a hands-off warning saying he's not going. I think he's going to have his pick of the clubs. Great player. I think he'd look good in Liverpool's midfield. You've had players who... Uh, 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 Liverpool have signed and you think, oh yeah, they're going to provide the next generation of midfield talent and it's not quite worked out for Liverpool. So McAllister to Liverpool does make sense to me, but uh, the papers at the moment are just full of speculation. They always are, I suppose. Um, and uh, he's going to have the pick of where he wants to go. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he went to Liverpool. Wouldn't be surprised. Mm. And what are just some of the other rumours that are circulating at the moment? I mean, imagine Newcastle, they're going to have some money to spend. I don't think they want a revolution. I think they probably just want an evolution. Yeah, Newcastle, I think, will... Uh, will well, they're all going to strengthen, aren't they? I think um, uh, in terms of Manchester United, you know, does De Gea stay or go? That's Do Manchester United need a new goalkeeper? Uh, who do they get if they do uh, after De Gea's uh, latest slip-up? Having said that, I think De Gea made some exceptional saves against Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final. He's a good uh, shot stopper, he, although it wouldn't have seemed that way at uh, at uh, West Ham uh, on Sunday. But, uh, you, you know, whether Manchester United get a new goalkeeper, United are going to have to 
make wholesale changes because uh, and Ten Hag knows that. And I think that's going to be the key test. It didn't take much really for Ten Hag to turn United round after what Solskjaer did there, made a complete and utter mess of it, uh, as have various managers uh, since Sir Alex Ferguson retired 10 years ago. But uh, it's going to be interesting. To see, you know, they bought Jaden Sancho, didn't they, for an awful lot of money and it's not worked out for Sancho. Um, so they're going to have to spend big United again. And yet they've got this cloud hanging over them in terms of the ownership because that's still not been resolved. You know, all United fans after they lose to West Ham are blaming the Glazers. And you think, well, you can't, can't blame the Glazers for everything just because you've lost. Um, you know, they've backed the managers with, with an awful lot of funds. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's going to be fascinating. I think Manchester City will be will be strengthening as well in, in the uh, close season. Um, probably need a left-back. I think Nathan Aki's done brilliantly as a left-back uh, since, um, uh, you know, the... They lost Zinchenko at the end of last season. Arsenal will be looking to strengthen as well. Um, so, and, and that, that merry-go-round of the transfers is what makes it all so captivating. You talked about goalkeepers. I would pick up Kevin Callagher, the reserve goalkeeper from Liverpool. Every time he's played for Liverpool, that man is superb. I, I, I can understand why he wants more game time. Yeah, no, that's it, isn't it? The number two goalkeeper. Are you gonna? Are you happy? just to um, uh, sit on the bench. I mean, Manchester City have got Scott Carson, who earns a million and a half pounds a season, and he is third or fourth choice. And the only reason he is there, and they give him the... I think he's played two games. Uh, the only reason he is there is because the players like him. He's a great kind of pick-me-up in the dressing room. He's a great... Uh, character to have around and that's why Guardiola just wants him there not to play in goal you know City have got Ortega and they've got Edison uh, and 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 he's there earning a million and a half pounds a year just to be there just as a sort of like not clowning around as such but just because he's a lovable likeable character um, so yeah but the, the story of number two goalkeepers um, is uh you know, there's, there's an awful lot of them who are quite happy probably to pick up a decent wage to act as a substitute. It depends really what kind of ambitions you've got in terms of your playing career. Do you think I would want to win some silverware or am I happy to be a number two at a certain club? Um, but yeah, you're right about Liverpool. Keller has done well. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andy, we might leave it there. Good luck with um, good luck with your call this afternoon of the championship. And um, yeah, it'd be, it, it, it would yeah, um, I look forward. Can we tune in somehow? How do we listen to your dulcet tones? Uh, well, it's the radio station's national commercial radio in England, so it's Talk Sport. Talk Sport, um, okay. Yeah, Talk Sport. So uh, three o'clock kickoff, uh, and there's no uh, there's a, there's no Premier League game. Is at uh, three o'clock our time today, uh, which is what? How far? Have, well, that's another five hours off. So the spotlight is very much on the, the championship, but of course the teams going up: Sheffield United and uh, Burnley already decided and then we've got the lottery of the playoffs to come so you could have Luton Town you could have Coventry City playing in the Premier League next season and obviously that golden jackpot of uh, of, of, of what is it they're talking about £100 million if you get into the Premier League yeah. so the playoffs are going to be fascinating over the next always couple remember, away from I always remember Coventry winning the FA Cup I think in 1983 was it? 87 Coventry was it 87? I thought it was earlier than that was it? Yeah. Coventry 87 yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it went back earlier yeah. than that yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, no, great win, great win.
Yeah, mm. great days. Okay, Andy, look, all the very best for that call this afternoon. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Cheers. All the best, Mark. Bye-bye. Yeah, 21 minutes after nine. I had a privilege of working with Andy last year at the World Games in Alabama. We sort of struck up a friendship, and he's been brilliant on radio ever since. Certainly does know his football. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? Um, 0800 150811 is the number if you do want to have your say on any matter. We've got plenty of footballing audio to come here on the programme. But if you have just joined us too, just keen to get your thoughts on this Jason Paris, the CEO of One New Zealand, formerly Vodafone New Zealand, coming out and going off on social media regarding the refereeing in the game against the Warriors versus the Penrith Panthers, sort of jokingly saying that I wouldn't be surprised if the ref, and, and I'm not saying it verbatim, so I'm just a little bit of free licence here, but basically saying, look, I wouldn't be surprised, he was joking, saying I wouldn't be surprised if the referees, you know, are all conspiring and they've all got bets on the Warriors, etc. Basically implying that it's, 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 yeah, that there is a collective um, bias towards the Warriors. Now, he's got to be very, very careful um, because his comments sort of border on being defamatory. And there is discussion that the NRL are investigating it and potentially they could take legal action. I don't think that'll happen. I don't think they'll want to take on a, a, a large telecommunications company. When it comes to defamation, it's a very, very grey area. It's very hard to prove that your reputation has genuinely been damaged, brought into disrepute. We heard some audio from Graham Annesley, who is the head of the referee, and he was brilliant, saying, look, every after every round I have eight teams who come to me arguing that the 50-50 calls didn't go our way and there was a level of bias and the referees are crap. Um, basically, teams that lose, you tend to go in to put the spotlight a little bit more on the referees. I'm going to say this. I think that Jason Paris, I think this was deliberate. I think this is a marketing ploy. I think this is a way of endearing himself and one New Zealand to the New Zealand public. Best way to do that is point the finger at Australia and basically call them cheats because a lot of New Zealand just believe that anyway and it's a really nice way of um, being a bit of a populist. But I also think it's a way of uh, really shifting our mindset and our thought from the old name Vodafone to this rebranding which they have rolled out recently of One New Zealand and the younger audience, which historically has been their target market. So I think it's been very deliberate. I'm not sure that a CEO of a major telecommunications company would come on different radio stations today, different forms of media, and be giving interviews unless it was some part of some sort of overall strategic plan. What do you think? Is there a bias towards Vodafone? I see there I go, the One New Zealand Warriors. 0800 is the number.